Welcome back in to Talks on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I am your instructor, David O. Gray, Master of Arts in Theology, and we begin. In the Patris et Filio, Espiritu Sancti. In this talk, I will be highlighting Part 2, Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church, Article 3, The Sacrament of Holy Eucharist, starting in paragraph 1322, going all the way to paragraph 1419. In this talk, I will connect the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist with the themes we have been repeating, such as how the Holy Eucharist relates to our capacity for God, how it relates to the economy of salvation, how the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist resolves the primordial questions. I will also address how the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist fulfills the first perpetual command from God, how it is the essence of the Holy Mass, and finally, how the uh, sacrament of the Holy Eucharist has seven points in which it is singular and extraordinary in regards to how God makes himself visible as the Holy Eucharist. Recall again that in context of the Nicene Constantinople Creed, when we are talking about the seven sacraments of the church, we are still in the third part of the creed, which concerns the life and works of the Holy Spirit and his joint mission with Christ Jesus. The most important thing to know about the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is how it fits in regards to how it fits within the economy of salvation is where paragraph 1363 says, In the sense of the sacred scripture, the memorial is not merely the recollection of past events, but the proclamation of the mighty works wrought by God for men. In the liturgical celebration of these events, they become, in a certain way, present and real. Welcome back in to Talks on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I am your instructor, David O. Gray, Master of Arts in Theology, and we begin. In the Patris et Filio, Espiritu Sancti. In this talk, I will be highlighting Part 2, Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church, Article 3, The Sacrament of Holy Eucharist, starting in paragraph 1322, going all the way to paragraph 1419. In this talk, I will connect the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist with the themes we have been repeating, such as how the Holy Eucharist relates to our capacity for God, how it relates to the economy of salvation, how the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist resolves the primordial questions. I will also address how the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist fulfills the first perpetual command from God, how it is the essence of the Holy Mass, and finally, how the 
uh, Sacrament of the Holy Eucharist has seven points in which it is singular and extraordinary in regards to how God makes himself visible as the Holy Eucharist. Recall again that in context of the Nicene Constantinople Creed, when we are talking about the seven sacraments of the church, we are still in the third part of the creed, which concerns the life and works of the Holy Spirit and his joint mission with Christ Jesus. The most important thing to know about the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is how it fits in regards to how it fits within the economy of salvation is where paragraph 1363 says, in the sense of the sacred scripture, the memorial is not merely the recollection of past events, but the proclamation of the mighty works wrought by God for men. In the liturgical celebration of these events, they become, in a certain way, present and real. This is how Israel understands its liberation from Egypt. Every time Passover is celebrated, the Exodus events are made present to the memory of the believers so that they may conform their lives to them. Indeed, the reason why this teaching of the Catholic Church is so profound is because it touches upon two of the things that make the Catholic liturgy so unique. First, in saying that the memorial sacrifice is not just uh, not merely the recollection of past events, but a proclamation of the mighty works wrought by God. The magisterium is connecting what happens at the Eucharist Passover meal with what happened at the original Passover, where after issuing to Moses the exact prescription of how the Passover sacrifice and meal was to be celebrated, for example, what type of lamb was to be selected to be sacrificed, what day of the year it was prescribed, what they were to do with the blood of the lamb, how the lamb was to be roasted, what side dishes they were to have with the roasted lamb, what, what parts of the lamb were to be eaten, and what to do with the leftovers, very detailed. But God then says in Exodus 12, 14, This day will be a day of remembrance for you, which your future generations will celebrate with pilgrimage to the Lord. You will celebrate it as a statute forever. Forever means forever. This is a perpetual command that can never be revoked. But it was fulfilled at the final Passover meal that our Lord celebrated with his disciples, where he points to himself as being the new Passover, the new lamb, which they will eat on this day, and points to his own blood, which they will consume for their eternal salvation. Their Passover was not out of bondage in Egypt, and into the promised land, but passing over, being delivered out of sin and death, and into eternity 
with the Father. Outside of the Catholic and Orthodox apostolic faith, there is no other religion that obeys that forever and perpetual command from God. And because the Catholic Church alone fulfills that command in union with the successor to the Apostle Peter, is one of the greatest reasons to be Catholic. The second profound thing that paragraph 1363 is saying is that the liturgical celebration of these events, they become in a certain way present and real. To make a quick contrast, when Jews pray in the synagogue, the time and day they are praying is that specific time and day. The same is true when Muslims pray in the mosque and when Protestants pray in the church service. The time and day they are praying is only that specific time and day. If they are praying on at 10 a.m. on a Sunday on March 10th, it is only 10 a.m. on Sunday on March 10th of that specific year. That's it. Such is not the reality for the liturgy of the Catholic Mass. From the moment the liturgy begins, we are instantly and physically transported to a specific time in salvation history. In the opening procession, we are caught up into the history of processions of God's people throughout time. That is, we are not only participating in the liturgical processions of all Catholics at Mass, who God sees in His eternal right now, but in that nowness of His sacred space, He sees all the processions of all of His people all moving in the same direction towards Him. A mass of people, whether it is us this day processing with the priest and the people to the sanctuary or the Israelites processing through the Red Sea and through the desert or David processing with the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, Christ Jesus processing with his disciples to Jerusalem and then to the cross. Because in salvation history, there is only one true procession, just as there is only one essence of the liturgy. It is, only, it is the only procession, it is only one procession that God sees, and that is our moving towards Him. And at the Mass, we participate in that timeless, in that glorious procession to Him. Then, at the moment the liturgical prayers begin, we are instantly and physically transported back 2,000 years ago to the last Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. The Catholic priest in persona Christi sits with us at table, and the Blessed Mother Mary kneels with us in the pews as we adore the cross. And as we fulfill the forever and perpetual command, to do this in memory of him, the timeless and sacredness of liturgical space continues at the concluding rites, 
where we are sent back into the world, where we are participating in the sending of the apostles in the Acts of the Apostles, who were also participating in the sending of Christ into the world. Christ, who prays to his Father in John 17, 18, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. For as there is only one essence of the liturgy and only one true procession, there has only been one true sending. And that sending was when the Father sent His only begotten and beloved Son into the world. A sending which we either participate in or we do not. This is the timelessness of the liturgy of the Mass and the sacraments of the Holy Eucharist truly becomes as the church teaches. In a certain way, present and real, thereby truly communicates the Holy Trinity to us. The sacrificial character of the perpetual command, now fulfilled in and through Christ Jesus, maintains its essential sacrificial character as the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches in paragraphs 1365 through 1368. Because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist is also a sacrifice. The sacrificial character of the Eucharist is manifested in the very words of institution. This is my body, which is given for you, and this cup which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. In the Eucharist, Christ gives us the very body which he gave up for us on the cross, the very blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Eucharist is thus a sacrifice because it represents, makes present, the sacrifice of the cross, because it is its memorial and because it applies its fruit. Christ, our Lord and God, was once and for all to offer himself to God, Father, by his death on the altar of the cross to accomplish there an everlasting redemption, but because his priesthood was not to end with his death, At the Last Supper, on a night he was betrayed, he wanted to leave his beloved spouse, the church, a visible sacrifice, as the nature of man demands, by which the bloody sacrifice, which was to accomplish once and for all on the cross, would be represented, its memory perpetuated, until the end of the world and its salutary power to be applied to the forgiveness of the sins we daily commit. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one 
and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of the priest, who then offered himself on a cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And since this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is now contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. This sacrifice is truly propitiatory. The Eucharist is also the sacrifice of the church. The church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head with him. She herself is offered whole and entire. She unites herself to his intercession with the Father for all men. In the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ becomes also the sacrifice of the members of his body, the lives of the faithful, their praise, sufferings, prayer, and work are united with those of Christ and with his total offering, and so acquire a new value. Christ's sacrifice present on the altar makes it possible for all generations of Christians to be united with his offering. One of the most frequently used words in Article 3 on a sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is altar. The Catholic altar is the most sacred piece of furniture in the world because paragraph 1383 teaches the altar represents the two aspects of the same mystery, the altar of sacrifice and the table of the Lord. This is all more so since the Christian altar is the symbol of Christ himself, present in the midst of the assembly of his faithful, both as a victim offered for our reconciliation and as food from heaven who is given himself to us. For what is the altar of Christ, if not the image of the body of Christ? Asks St. Ambrose. He says elsewhere, the altar represents the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is on the altar. The liturgy expresses this liturgy of sacrifice and communion in many prayers. Thus, the Roman church prays in this anaphora, We entreat you, Almighty God, that by the hands of your holy angel, this offering may be borne to your altar in heaven, in the sight of your divine majesty, so that as we receive in communion at this altar the most holy body and blood of your Son, we may be filled with every heavenly blessing and grace. The sacraments of the Holy Eucharist in the economy of salvation is intimately connected to the divine culture of the Catholic Church. Even in the world, culture and economy have a dependent relationship, meaning that the beliefs and values of a culture do have a direct impact 
on what goods, services, and resources that the people in that economy produces, consumes, protects, and values. Thereby, culture also influences income and profits. Yet, it is also true that economy and culture are not always transportable. These things may clash with other cultures and economies, such as when discount giant Walmart had to sell off 85 of its outlets in Germany. Uh, what had, had worked brilliantly for Walmart in America, in, in an American culture, and economy was unable to be transported wholesale into the German culture and economy. And Walmart was unwilling to change their culture to adapt to a different economy. Here, the divine Catholic culture succeeds where all others eventually fail. When Christ Jesus fulfills the perpetual Passover command in himself saying, do this in enemino, that is in Greek, in perpetual weight of me. Perpetual, there's that word again. This perpetual command in liturgical celebration that only becomes a foundation of the new culture and instantly transportable to anywhere the apostles and their successors took it. But for centuries, it had transformed the cultures and economies around the world. That it, Whatever went, it transformed that culture into a Catholic culture. And that culture then became a reflection of the Catholic Church. What animates a culture? And what is that one thing of that culture that all the people have in common? Well, in many countries, that animating thing that they all have in common might be patriotism. It, it might be love of family or love of money. In the divine Catholic economy, that thing that animates us is not a what, but a who. Our immortal soul breathed into us by God at the moment of conception animates us as bodily creatures. And at that moment, at baptism, Christ Jesus and his joint mission with the Holy Spirit begins the work of animating our life through the liturgy of the Mass, the sacraments, and God's grace. Unlike cultures and economies in the world, the divine Catholic economy and culture is not interested in enslaving us to his systems, but rather equips us through the knowledge of the truth and true discipleship with the Father through the Son to be free and whole. While the countercultures of Protestantism, Communism, and Secularism have been able to successfully compete in a temporal way against the divine Catholic culture, paragraphs 1342 to 1344 addresses how it all began just 2,000 years ago, saying, From the beginning, the church has been faithful to the Lord's command. Of the church of Jerusalem, it is written, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, 
they partook of the food with glad and generous hearts. It was above all. On the first day of the week, Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection, that the Christians met to break bread from that time on down to our own day. The celebration of the Eucharist has been continued so that today we encounter it everywhere in the church with the same fundamental structure. It remains the center of the church's life. Thus, from celebration to celebration, as they proclaim the Paschal mystery of Jesus until he comes, the pilgrim people of God advances, following the narrow way of the cross, toward their heavenly banquet, when all the elect will be seated at the table of the kingdom. So there are seven ways in which the Holy Eucharist is both singular and extraordinary to anything else in the church and the entire universe. First, the Holy Eucharist is the only sacrament where an actual transfer of matter occurs. That is, what was um, matter, the, the matter of bread and wine are, are no more. And all that remains is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ Jesus. That only happens at the Mass. Second, the Holy Eucharist is the only sacrament where there is a change of something truly dead into something truly alive. What this reminds us of at Mass is that if Christ can change a dead thing, bread and wine, into a living thing, himself, by the power of his word, then how much more can he do with us by the same power of his word? Third, the Holy Eucharist is the only sacrament which most clearly reminds us of who Christ actually is. It is only at the Mass where we get to perceive with our senses the real presence of Christ. Fourth, the Holy Eucharist is the only sacrament that represents the quality of transformation that our own lives are meant to undergo. That is, the bread and wine that becomes Christ Jesus is representative of that same grace that is working within us to conform man to his image. Fifth, the Holy Eucharist is the only sacrament that constitutes the most compelling evidence of Christ in the universe. In other words, if you want to know if Jesus actually exists, then come to the sacrifice of the Mass to see him for yourself. 6. Of all the four presences of God at the liturgy, that is, God present within his written word, God present 
in his people at prayer, the priest in persona Christi, and the Holy Eucharist, the real presence of Christ Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the most unique of these is the Holy Eucharist, because it is the only one of the four presences that only comes to be through the liturgy of the Mass, which it is inseparable from. And seventh, the Holy Eucharist is the only sacrament that is food and is corporal. You shouldn't attempt to eat or digest any of the other three presences of God at the Mass. But the Holy Eucharist, you ought to. In this way, it reminds us of our dependence on God as the sustenance of our life, our daily bread. Now, returning to the church's teaching of how the finite were created with capacity for the infinite, paragraphs 1391 through 1398 speaks about seven ways in which the sacraments of the Holy Eucharist enriches our capacity for God. First, the Holy Eucharist augments, that is, makes larger or intensifies our union with Christ. Second, by preserving, increasing, and renewing the life of grace received at baptism, the Holy Eucharist does for our spiritual body what food does in our material body. Third, the Holy Eucharist separates us from sin. In particular, the Holy Eucharist forgives us of venial sins and preserves us from grave sins. Fourth, as a type of nourishment, the Holy Eucharist revives our love and enables us to break our disordered attachments to sin and roots us deeply in Christ Jesus. Fifth, by the same charity that enkindles in us, the Holy Eucharist preserves us from future mortal sins. Six, because Christ Jesus personally identifies with the least among us, the poor, the imprisoned, the persecuted, the Holy Eucharist commits us to recognize Christ in all people. And seventh, as a sign of unity, the Holy Eucharist awakens in us a passion to pray for the unity amongst all of God's people. The world into which Christ Jesus came into is a unique thing in all the universe, uniquely and nowhere else aside and through the Catholic and Orthodox religion. Can we actually eat God and thereby become like what we eat God? This divine transaction between God and man, the admirable exchange has been called God becoming man so the man may become like God, resolves the primordial questions of who am I? How did I get here? And where am I going? 
like no man-made religion could ever have imagined. The new formula to answer these questions in a catechetical format would sound like this. Who am I? You're an adopted child of God. How did I get here? You were created for God and by God. Where am I going? Back to God. What is the proof of these answers you gave me? Baptism, confirmation, the liturgy, and the Holy Eucharist. This substantial transfer of bread and wine is what the Catholic Church for nearly half a millennium now has called transubstantiation, this substantial transfer, which paragraph 1376 defines in this way, saying, The Council of Trent summarizes the Catholic faith by declaring, Because Christ, our Redeemer, said that, it was truly his body that he is offering under the species of bread. It has always been the conviction of the church of God and this holy council now declares again that by the consecration of bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This change, the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. The Eucharistic presence of Christ begins at the moment of consecration and endures as long as the Eucharistic species subsists. Christ is present, whole and entire, in each of the species and whole and entire in each of their parts in such a way that the breaking of the bread does not divide Christ. Because God is truly holy and the Holy Eucharist is his real presence, him who is truly holy in all presence we, his people, are forbidden from intimately communing with him through the reception of his real presence, if we are attached to any grave sins. Welcome back in to Talks on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I am your instructor, David O. Gray. Master of Arts in Theology, and we begin. In nomine Patris et Filio, Espiritu Sancti. In this talk, I will be highlighting Part 2, Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church, Article 3, The Sacrament of Holy Eucharist, starting in paragraph 1322, going all the way to paragraph 1419. In this talk, I will connect the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist with the themes we have been repeating, such as how the Holy Eucharist relates to our capacity for God, how it relates to the economy of salvation, how the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist resolves the primordial questions, 
I will also address how the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist fulfills the first perpetual command from God, how it is the essence of the Holy Mass, and finally, how the uh, sacrament of the Holy Eucharist has seven points in which it is singular and extraordinary in regards to how God makes himself visible as the Holy Eucharist. Recall again that in context of the Nicene Constantinople Creed, when we are talking about the seven sacraments of the church, we are still in the third part of the creed, which concerns the life and works of the Holy Spirit and his joint mission with Christ Jesus. The most important thing to know about the sacraments of the Holy Eucharist is how it fits in regards to how it fits within the economy of salvation is where paragraph 1363 says, in the sense of the sacred scripture, the memorial 